Hallelujah. Let's give Jesus a great big praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you feel like that today? All of my praise belongs to Jesus. My highest praise, my best praise, it belongs to him. Would you lift up your hands all across this house as we continue to magnify the Lord? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. Come on, all across this building. God, we give you the glory, all of the honor, all of the praise. It belongs to you and to you alone, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise all across this building. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. It is good to be in the house of the Lord here on this Sunday afternoon. I love what I feel in the presence of the Lord. Amen. I'm thankful to be in God's presence with the presence of God's people. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn open to a couple passages of Scripture. We're going to turn open to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to go to the book of John chapter 2, and then 1 Corinthians 15. Amen. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 1. If you need help finding that, it's the very first book in the Bible. Hey, praise God. We're getting, Elder Johnson, we're getting everybody started on their Bible reading for next year right now. Praise God. Genesis chapter 1. Amen. I want to say it's good to have all of our guests and our visitors. Amen. Our return guests, our return visitors. I'm thankful for what the Lord is doing in Carson City here at Apostolic Revival Center. God is moving. Praise God. We've got uh, Sister Keeley's going to get baptized today in Jesus' name. Amen. And then next week, uh, Brother Kenneth and Sister Angelina in the back, they're going to get baptized in Jesus' name as well. Praise God. Amen. Genesis chapter 1 and beginning in verse number 1. In the beginning, everybody say beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Everybody say the beginning. In the beginning, the earth was without form and void and darkness upon the face of the deep. That's the beginning. Anybody ever seen those before and after pictures? See, some of y'all look like a before and after picture. We just don't know which before. Well, praise God. I'm just hoping I'm in my before picture. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, the beginning, it was dark. In the beginning, it was without form. In the beginning, it was void. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of those waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. The book of John, chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. You're going to flip to the New Testament. It's going to take us to Bible study here. And I'm going to preach Bible study to you today. Praise God. John chapter 2 and verse number 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. They've ran out. They're on empty. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. 
And there were set six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning, everybody say beginning. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed on him. Amen. We're getting our Bible reading for the week. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51. 1 Corinthians 15 and 51. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church, Behold, I show unto you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Not everybody's going to die. But there's something everybody's got in common. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all. Everybody say all. We shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Everybody say that. We shall be changed. We shall be changed. Amen. I want to preach to us for a few moments on this subject, the law of precedence, the law of of precedence. Would you set down your Bibles and we're going to pray all across this building? Would you lift up your voice and pray? Hallelujah, Lord. We believe your word. We believe the scriptures. Hallelujah. And we shall all be changed, God. And we are holding on to the to the gospel. We're holding on Amen. To that message, Jesus, we are going to give you great glory and honor and praise in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said amen. Let's give Jesus a great big hand clap of praise. Praise God. God bless you. You may be seated for a few moments here today. The law of precedence. You know, when we go out to eat somewhere, they've always got some specialty sauce. They call it their secret sauce. I'm going to give you the preacher's secret sauce here today. Amen. I'm going to let all my cooks in the house of the Lord know that this is the secret sauce. There are, there are ways in which we are to interpret Scripture, and there are ways in which we are to not interpret Scripture. In the process of defining what would be the right way to interpret Scripture and what would be the, right way, the wrong way to interpret Scripture, they came up with something known as hermeneutics. Everybody say that, hermeneutics. Don't name your kid that. Hallelujah. Hey, praise God. Hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is, in essence, the laws of interpretation. Now, 
There's many that would read the Bible and they want to define the Bible based on where they live. But I want to tell you, you can't define the Bible based on where you live. Now, the beautiful thing about the Bible is it's not just another textbook. It is a living word. It can speak to you right where you are. It can help you right where you are. God can give you a word from his written word right where you are. But don't get it twisted that a word from God is the same as an interpretation of the word of God. God can speak to you where you are, but that doesn't mean that's what that verse is talking about inside of its, its original writing. Amen. So when we are defining and interpreting scripture, there's many laws we could talk about, but there's the first three main laws, the laws of interpretation when dealing with scripture. The first law when you are interpreting scripture is context. Everybody say context. You got you to gotta know the context, what was written before it, what was written during it, and what was written after it. Has anybody ever been taken out of context? I hate it. I hate when somebody takes a blurb of something I said or something I texted or something I preached about. They take one blurb. The Internet's real famous for this nowadays. And they take one blurb out of context, and they leave it up for private interpretation as to what the individual was talking about. Now, I'm just a man, and I despise being taken out of context. And I have to believe that God as well does not like being taken out of context. Hallelujah. This is why it's so important that when you are reading the Word of God, when you are studying the Word of God, that you don't just do what a lot of religious groups do. They cherry-pick verses that they like. They pull one verse from here and pull one verse from there, even though it's completely out of context. You know, you can prove anything you want to prove with the Bible if you pull it out of context. You know, the Bible says that you are not to wear shoes. Did you know that's in the Bible? He told Moses, take off your shoes. The place you're standing is holy ground. Well, it looks like everybody's in sin today. They're wearing shoes. I'm kidding. Well, obviously, you know I'm joking because that's me cherry-picking a verse out of context. So context matters when you are defining out Scripture. You've got to know what was written before it, what was written during it, and what was written after it so you can properly understand what is actually happening in that verse. The next law of hermeneutics is precedence. Everybody say precedence. Precedence or the, the law of first usage or the law of primacy where it is the first time something has been mentioned. And it's not just that it's mentioned once, but it's the importance that God put to put it first. God put it in there so that we could start to develop a pattern from that place forward. You got to know what was the first thing God said so that we can properly understand the context. The next one is redundancy. Everybody say redundancy. This is the law of multiple usage. This is when something appears over and over and over again. This is when we combine these. We can start developing doctrine. See, doctrine is not something that we just stuck our hand and our finger up in the wind and said, well, what does the world want to hear? What does our current society want to hear? What is currently popular in our world today? That's not how we develop doctrine. 
We also don't develop doctrine over, I like that verse, but I don't like that one. I like this one, but I don't like that one. We take these laws and we put them together. We read the verse within context. We see and find the first time that God set a precedent in the Word of God. And then we look for the pattern in which God has done it over and over and over again. Let me help you here today. That's why we baptize in Jesus' name. We don't just baptize in Jesus' name because we love the name of Jesus, although we love the name of Jesus. We don't just baptize in the name of Jesus because the Word of God declares whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. But we baptize in the name of Jesus because when Peter stood up for the first sermon, the precedent sermon that was preached in Acts chapter 2, he said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Can I preach to somebody? In its context, there were 3,000 baptized that day. In its context, they heard what he said. In its context, they all received the word gladly. And a precedent was set on that day that continued on. Acts chapter 8. They found some Samaritans, half Jew, half Gentile. And when they found them, they preached the word of God unto them. And when they preached concerning the things of the kingdom of God, I want to tell you what preaching about the kingdom of God does for people. When you preach about the kingdom of God, the first question that comes to mind is, what do I have to do to get in that kingdom? When people hear about Jesus, they want to know, what do I got to do to get a hold of eternal life? What must I do to be saved? And in its context, Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And when he preached Christ unto them, the Bible says they were all baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Can I preach to somebody? It's in context. It is following the precedent. And now we're starting to see it over and over and over again. Well, preacher, that's just two times. I'm glad you came by and stayed for a little while. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, a religious man, a pagan man, prayed always, gave alms always. The Bible declares that he showed up. Amen. A vision came about the ninth hour, and he said, go find a preacher by the name of Peter, the one that set the precedent, the one that had the keys of the kingdom, the one that preached on Pentecost, and he's going to tell you what you got to do. And the Bible declares while Peter yet preached these words the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word for they spake with other tongues well looks like we broke the precedent they got the Holy Ghost first no 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 my friends you got to read the context because the context says while Peter was preaching he said can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we and then Peter commanded them he didn't instruct them he didn't advise them he didn't say if you want to Peter said we're going to keep with the precedent we're going to let you know they had to do it in Acts chapter 2 they had to do it in Acts chapter 8 and here we are a couple years later Acts chapter 10 you must be baptized in the name of Jesus somebody clap your hands and give him praise praise God and so we can say well it ends there no 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 
it's going to be more redundant than that to get a doctrine. The Bible declares in Acts chapter 19, Paul having passed through the upper coast, he came and found certain disciples, and he asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Amen. They were believers, but they were not receivers. They had not even heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. They had, they had gone to church their whole lives, been religious their whole lives, and then Paul got amen, his antenna up and said, if you don't even know about the Holy Ghost, I don't even want to guess what kind of church you go to, because any church that doesn't preach about the Holy Ghost is not preaching the word of God. He said, then I want to know how you were baptized because if you haven't heard about the Holy Ghost, I can guarantee you weren't baptized right. And when they told him, we got John's baptism, he began to preach unto them and they gladly received his word. They were baptized in Jesus' name, rebaptized in Jesus' name, and they received the gift of the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. What am I preaching to you today? When God sets a precedent, we don't change it. When God sets it in motion, we hold to it. We believe it. We preach it. We teach it. We grab a hold of it. Somebody give him praise. Amen. Precedent is something that is a biblical law of interpretation, but in modern law here in the U.S., they have taken precedent and they utilize it. Amen. That's why it's such a big deal. Who runs the Supreme Court not to get political because what they do is they're going to they're going to judge and they're going to judge over the as the high court of the of the nation over what the precedent will be. Precedent is a legal principle created by a court decision which provides an example or authority for judges deciding on similar issues later on down the road. I've talked to people in fact, I, I talked to a uh, local pastor here for about four hours about baptism in Jesus' name. Amen. The infilling of the Holy Ghost and the oneness of God. I believe one day we're going to baptize entire churches in Jesus' name. But he wanted to quote, uh, well, what about Athanasius? And what about uh, Augustine? And what about church this and church history that? I said, brother, you got to go back to the precedent. You got to go back to when God set it in motion. Uh, you got to go back uh, because before we can judge amongst these littler decisions, uh, amen, it is the decision that is set by the higher court uh, that makes mandatory precedence uh, in all of the lower courts. Uh, so before I start talking about church history uh, or what you call church fathers, uh, I got to take you all the way back to the man with the keys uh, to the kingdom. Uh, I got to take you back to the apostle Peter. Uh, I got to take you back to the apostle. So, Paul, I got to take you back to Jesus that said, except a man be born again of water and of spirit, they can't see and they can't enter. Amen. So, I gave you the secret sauce. Take it, replicate it, it's yours. Amen. You can now decide how I preach every sermon. Hallelujah. But if we were to hermeneutically interpret our scripture here today, we would find all three of these in their proper context. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, before time, when time was being created by God, God was outside of time. Amen. Before anything else was, God was. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. He's God all by himself. Furthermore, in the beginning, God. Singular, not God's. Hallelujah. That's for free. And God came down 
And notice the condition of the world. The world was without form and void. It was empty. It was without shape. Amen. It had no point. It had no purpose. It was nothingness. Amen. And God moved upon that. And God spoke to it. And he began to change what was when he arrived. If we were to properly interpret our context in John chapter 2, we would see Jesus arriving at a wedding with his disciples. And at this wedding, they've run out of wine. Mary asked Jesus to please do something about it because she knows nobody else at this celebration can do anything about it. Everybody's on empty, but there's only one person at this party that can change anything. Uh, she didn't ask a counselor. She didn't ask a doctor. She didn't ask the governor of the feast. Uh, she didn't ask the wealthy. She didn't ask the poor. She said, let me find Jesus uh, because if anybody's going to make a difference, uh, it's going to be Jesus. Uh, if anybody can make it, you don't know I'm preaching yet, but I'm preaching if anybody can make a difference it's got to be Jesus can I preach to somebody in its context nobody else can make a difference but Jesus when you got a problem go to Jesus when you don't know what to do go to Jesus when you're on empty go to Jesus when you need a miracle you gotta go to Jesus somebody shout and give God praise Jesus is then tell she then tells the the, the the servants whatever Jesus tells you to do do it because in order for for a miracle to be you got to have obedience amen you got to be obedient to have a miracle and Jesus tells those servants he said you see you see those water pots right over there whoo amen we read that from our modern context and we go yeah he just went and grabbed a couple buckets of water no Reading it within biblical context, the Bible says it was for the purification of the Jews. This was hand water, hand washing water. It wasn't running water either. No Purell. Hallelujah. No Dove. No essential oils. Praise God. Amen. For all my folk out there. Amen. This was dirty hand water and foot washing water because when people came to the wedding, they had to enter in. And I came to preach to somebody. Before you could get in the wedding, you had to be washed. See, I'm getting ready to preach to you about context of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. Uh, amen. But before you get in the wedding, you got to go through a washing, honey. Uh, you got to go through a purification process. Uh, it didn't matter if you were the bride or the groom, if you were the governor or you were the pauper that was just invited to the wedding. Everybody had to be washed. Everybody had to be cleansed. So, and these people were not like you and I, very clean at least you should be, hallelujah, amen. They were not like that. They wore uh, G JC's, Jerusalem cruisers, hallelujah, the latest, amen, from Nike, hallelujah. They didn't have nice shoes. They were open-toed, open-soled, hallelujah. These were nasty stuff, and when they came to that wedding, you had to wash it all. And Jesus said, fill those up. 
And they thought, well, we've got to have another ritual cleansing. Praise God. Somebody else is going to get baptized. Somebody else is going to get washed. This is awesome. And so they took that. They filled it up. And I love it. Jesus said, I see those water pots that have been used for purification, but they're empty. And if we're going to change the emptiness at this party, we got to start with the emptiness right here. And so he said, fill them up. And I love it. He doesn't just have them filled up a little bit. He says, fill it all the way up because God is interested in filling things that are empty all all the way up. Fills it all the way up to the brim. And now here's where obedience really comes to test. Some people, they say, I, I live for God when they're lopping off heads. Nope. If you don't live for God now when it's easy, you won't do it then. Because sometimes obeying Jesus is very difficult. And here he said, now take that water and pour it into the cup of the governor of the feast. Ooh. Now, we read that and go, oh, it was just some, some wealthy guy at the feast. No, 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 no. This was, this was the one that was probably performing the ceremony for the marriage. But furthermore, this was some kind of religious leader. And in those days, to give somebody impure water or to give somebody something that was unclean, amen, it was a capital offense. And if they didn't kill you for it, they certainly imprisoned you for it. And if they didn't imprison you for it, if you're just a servant, you're about to lose your job. You know, sometimes when you obey God, it'll cost you something. Amen. Sometimes it costs you friends. Sometimes it costs you relationships. Uh, sometimes it'll cost you a job. I'm not talking about being ignorant. I'm not talking about being rude. But sometimes when you really make a decision, I'm going to live for God and I'm going to do what God has said. Uh, you're going to have to pony up. Uh, you're going to have to pay up. There's going to be some people that don't understand that decision. And in that moment, they had a decision to make. Do we give this water to the governor. Now, if he'd have said, give it to this sampler over here. Uh, you know, we got, some, we got some folks, you know, this guy right here, the, the cup bearer, he'll taste it for poison. No, he said you give it right to the top dog. I want the guy that's in charge of this whole thing. I want the guy that'll make the decision on whether you live or die to taste of this water. And those servants with trembling knees, you got to understand the context. They knew that this was a capital offense. They took this water. It was impure water. This wasn't a practical joke. This could get this man really sick. And they took this water and they poured it into his cup. And the Bible says the servants were drew the water new uh, as they poured they noticed the dirty water uh, amen was now shining and glistening and this filthy water now had this purple clean to it uh, it had been transformed in the middle of the pour Ooh. and they're thinking oh Jesus I hope this magic trick works because it might look different but does it taste different Whew. It might look different, but, but is it really different? Can I preach to somebody? It's not enough just to look different. It's not just enough to look different, but you got to be changed and transformed at the very base of who you are. Jesus said, just wait. And that governor of the feast takes one sip of that wine. Whoo! Something changed in that moment. Uh, when he took one drink of that wine, uh, all of a sudden he called. He had to call immediately for the bridegroom. And I think those servants are shaking right now because they think, oh, no, he's going to find out it was us. Uh, we're go he's going to think we were mixing wine with dirty water. Uh, we're about to get thrown out. Uh, but the Bible declares he called for the bridegroom uh, and said, where on earth did you get this wine? 
Now, some people think Jesus was a bartender. He wasn't no bartender. Uh, amen. What he's saying is uh, there's something about this. Everybody else, uh, amen, they set forth the best. Uh, amen. That while they're drinking, they can taste it. Uh, but as their taste buds become accustomed, uh, you start setting forth the cheap stuff. Uh, you start putting forth the nasty stuff. Uh, and nobody will be the wiser. Uh, but you save something uh, that even after I had everything at this feast, uh, after I drank everything at this wedding, uh, there was something about what you just gave me uh, that was better uh, than everything I've ever had. Can I preach to somebody? Amen. God did a miracle that day, uh, transforming the molecular structure of the nastiest uh, water in the room uh, to being the finest wine that the governor uh, that went from wedding to wedding to wedding had ever had. Somebody ought to clap your hands and give God a shout. Somebody ought to give God a shout of praise. Come on. Somebody ought to give God a shout of praise. Come on. That's just the context, honey. But can I preach to you the precedent? When God shows up in your life, no matter how filthy, no matter how dark, no matter how dirty, no matter how disgusting your life's been, when God gets done, it's the best. It's the best. It's the best. Somebody that's got a testimony ought to stand to your feet, clap your hands, and give God a shout. Come on, somebody give God a shout of praise. Somebody give God a shout of praise. Woo. Has he transformed you? Has he changed you? Has he ever touched your mind? Woo. God bless you. Maybe seated for a moment. Amen. The precedent is this, that God does not leave us where he found us. The Bible declares this was the first miracle isn't it interesting how he had his disciples at this point? The Bible says when he called Peter, he filled Peter's boat with fish. So much the boat began to sink. That was not considered Jesus' first miracle. That wasn't the precedent. Amen. In fact, when he saw Philip and called Philip, he said, I saw you while you were under the fig tree. I saw you when I couldn't see you. I saw you right where you are. And I didn't have physical ability to see you, but I knew where you were. This is foresight. We'd say this guy's a prophet. We'd say this guy can see through walls or something. And yet this was not considered the first miracle. But when God decided, when John was writing down what was going to be his first precedented miracle, he said, I want you to make this turning of water into wine my first. I want all of mankind to know that the very first thing that I came to do was to transform and to change. But I got news for you. That's the precedent he set in the New Testament. But that precedent was set thousands of years ago all the way in the book of Genesis. That in the book of Genesis, he transformed a dark, formless, empty world into this beautiful creation that we live in, that we dwell in and have our being. And later he promises the first miracle when we make heaven our home, not everybody's going to die, but everybody's going to be changed. 
Not everybody's going to enter a tomb, but if you're on your way to heaven, everybody's going to be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when God's last trumpet sounds. I want to preach to you, you might be sick in your body, but when that trumpet sounds, something's going to change. You could be paralyzed, but when that trumpet sounds, something gets a hold of you. You could be blind, but when that trumpet sounds, your eyes are going to be changed. This precedent has been set in the Bible that God from the very beginning of time to the beginning of the New Testament all the way to the beginning of eternity that God is looking to change and God is looking to transform. God is looking to improve. God is looking to help. Can I preach to somebody what the precedent is? That the precedent is that God does not leave things empty. God does not leave things empty. God does not leave things dark. God does not leave things without purpose. God does not leave things dirty. God does not leave things in the state in which he found them because our God transforms, our God fills, our God heals, our God forms, our God illuminates, our God moves, our God makes a difference, our God makes a change, our God transforms. The beautiful part about this, tra- this precedent that's been set is that God showed up in both the Old Testament and the New Testament when everything was a mess. Whew. If anybody shouted about anything, I ought to shout right there. He didn't wait for everything to be put together. The precedent is God showed up when everything was still messed up. God showed up when everything was still empty. God showed up when everything was still dirty. God showed up when everything was still dark. In other words, the precedent is God does not wait for perfect conditions to show up in your life. I think somebody ought to shout. I don't know about you, but I'm glad he didn't wait for me to have it all figured out before he came to where I was. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad he didn't wait for the stars to align to baptize me in his name and fill me with his spirit. Somebody ought to give him praise. He showed up when you were on a bar stool. He showed up when you were strung out. He showed up when you were shacking up. He showed up. Come on, somebody. Don't look so dignified today. He showed up while you were just being religious. He showed up. He showed up. He showed up. Miracles. Let me help somebody that needs a miracle. Miracles don't show up. In perfect conditions. Because miracles are not needed in perfect conditions. If it was a perfect condition, you wouldn't need a miracle. If it was a perfect condition, you wouldn't need God. Woo. Be thankful in all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You ought to thank God for every imperfect situation that led you to this place. 
You ought to thank God for every busted moment, every imperfect scenario that led you to the foot of the cross, that brought you to the house of the Lord, that led you to call on the name of Jesus. Because had it not been uh, for all of that mess, you wouldn't be standing here. You wouldn't be seated here. But thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. So God doesn't wait for there to be perfect conditions. He moves while the world's without form and void, and darkness is upon the face of the deep. Understand for a moment what that is really saying, is that darkness was deep. It got so dark, there was so much nothing but darkness, that it permeated to the very depth of everything. There's people here today that you're saying, preacher, you do not know how dark everything is in my world. You do not know how dark everything's been in my life. I just come to preach to you about the precedent that God still moves upon the darkest of situations. He doesn't show up when we when we necessarily call him. He's not he's not a vending machine. Hallelujah. Jesus ain't no slot machine neither. Well, that's for free. Praise God. Some people gamble with Jesus. Some people go, go gambling with Jesus. I don't know. We'll see. God shows up not when it's a perfect time. God shows up in his time. And Mary ran over saying, hey, 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 hey. Hey, the party's about to run out. You better do something. And Jesus says, hold up. I'm no doubt she's sweating over it. She didn't know what to do. But I want to preach to you, Jesus showed up when the party ran out. Jesus showed up when the glasses were empty. Jesus showed up when people started getting desperate. Jesus showed up when Mary started calling out to him. He showed up in the Old Testament when the darkness permeated down to the deep. He showed up when there was no more, there was no form, when it was void, when it was empty, when everything was just flowing. Amen. It just seemed like there was nothing that was ever going to come of it. Amen. God does the same thing with us. He may not show up when we think he should, but he's always right on time. Can I preach that to somebody? He may not show up when you want him, but the old song says he's always right on time. He shows up when you're ready for transformation power. He shows up when you're ready to change. He shows up when you're ready to be filled. He shows up when you're ready for the party to be over. He shows up. He shows up when the drugs run out. He shows up when the drug dealer starts coming by and you don't want it no more. He shows He shows up when you're tired of the one night stand. He shows up when the party has lost its allure. He shows up. Somebody ought to give him praise here today. Somebody ought to shout and give God glory. God always shows up right in time. And it's when people are ready for transformation. They're ready for change. You know, there's nothing worse than the right thing at the wrong time. I'm preaching folks who know what that's like. There's nothing, there's nothing better than, there's nothing worse than the job being offered to you when you know you ain't qualified. Hallelujah. There's nothing worse than God showing up in a season when you don't want him. Woo. But there's nothing better than God showing up in a season when you've been done with everything you've been doing and you're ready for a change. 
There's nothing better and nothing more beautiful than when God shows up and you're finally ready to connect and say, God, I'm done running from you. There's nothing more beautiful, amen, than when the prodigal shows up with a mindset that says, I just want to get back to my father's house. That's when the father embraces his son. But if he'd have showed up getting a little more money, if he'd have showed up and said, I don't really want to be here, it would not have been a reunion. But he showed up and said, I'm ready to change. I'm ready to be different. I mean, there's nothing worse than that happening when you just, man, God showed up, and I don't really know if I want it. But I've seen it time and time again. People are so sick and tired of the party they've been in. They're so tired of the world they've been in. They're so tired of the emptiness they feel. They're so tired of waking up every morning and wondering why they even woke up. They're tired of feeling depressed. They're tired of thinking about amen, just another bill to pay and all of a sudden amen, God shows up. It might be in a service like this. It might be in the form of somebody knocking your door. It might be in the form amen, of a preacher preaching behind a pulpit to you. But in that moment, something resonates that says, God, if what this man's preaching about is for me, I want it. I want to change. I want to be transformed. Somebody clap your hands and give God praise. Let's stand across the building and clap our hands unto the Lord. Woo. Come on, somebody give him praise. The precedent is this. God shows up so that he can transform. Ooh. Listen, he ain't no genie in a bottle. He don't give you three wishes or whatever you want. I want to tell you, when God shows up in your life, the precedent's already been set. Hallelujah. It's already become redundant. When God shows up in your life, the first thing he's looking to do is to transform you. He's looking to transform your eternal destination. Hallelujah. Listen, let me help somebody. Jesus is not here to win friends and influence people. He ain't here to start a pyramid scheme, an MLM. He's not trying to get you to work underneath him. No, I want to tell you what Jesus has come to do. Jesus has come to change you. Hallelujah. And he goes from the inside out. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to tell you about the Holy Ghost for a moment. It's an inside job. Amen. He's the Navy SEALs of the spirit realm. He shows up behind enemy lines. Amen. And he begins to transform your heart. And he begins to transform the way you think. And all of a sudden, the way you view other people begins to transform. When you get the Holy Ghost, when you get filled with the Spirit of God, God goes on the inside and starts working things out. You thought it this way, but he changes the way you think. You saw it that way, but he changes your paradigm and makes you think differently. When God changes you, he does what he did to the wine and what he did to the earth. And one, one day he's going to do to the church. He changes them on a molecular level. Ooh. He said, let there be light. But pastor, you don't know how dark it is here. You don't know how empty it is here. You don't know. I don't, have, I don't have fluorescent lights. I don't have the sun, the moon, or the stars. No, 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 no. You don't understand the precedent. 
When God says it, it happens. In other words, God becomes the substance and the source of the things he promised. That's the precedent. We don't have no light. And Revelation says we have no need of the sun because Jesus is the light. In other words, well, I don't know how it's going to change. I don't have the things I need to make something change. And Jesus says, I am the change. I don't have a light switch. I don't have a light bulb. I don't have sun, moon, or stars. And God says, I didn't ask what you have. Let there be. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost. And in that moment, one moment, light came forth. Well, we ran out of wine, and this party's about to be over. We don't have what we need, and that we can't go to the store, and we can't find more. And then Jesus said, I didn't ask you whether or not you could find some from somebody else. When I showed up, all I can do, amen, whatever I need, whatever's there, I'll use it. I'll even take the dirtiest water, unpalatable, unpotable water, Ooh. And I'll make it the sweetest wine anybody's ever had. Well, you just, you just don't know how bad my childhood was. And you just don't know how rough it's been where I lived. And you just, you just don't know how, how many people washed their hands in my life. And how, how many people stepped on me through life. And you just don't know. And Jesus says it don't matter. Fill them up anyways. Ooh. Aren't you glad God said fill them up anyways? Aren't you glad that God said, I don't care? Well, God cares, but it doesn't matter how much you've been through and how dirty it's been, how dark it is. God said, I didn't ask any questions about that. My precedent is, I change it anyways. Fill it up. And as they poured it out, the dirtiest, filthiest. See, listen, let me help somebody here today. Don't let the tie fool you. If you saw this water pot 20 years ago, whew, you saw this water pot a couple years ago, praise God. You'd have said never in a million years. You saw the home I grew up in, or should I say the homes, multiple, or the lack of home. I was homeless a couple times. That I grew up in, and you'd have told them, or you'd have told me one day he's going to be a pastor. I'd have done to you what I did to my sister when she first invited me to church. I'd have cussed you out because I don't do that religion thing. I don't believe in God because if there's a good God, why is everything in the world so bad? I know some people think I'm talking to somebody right now. You've been there. And yet God didn't look at me and go, I'll wait until he's got a little bit more figured out. He said, fill him right where he is. And I remember as a teenage boy going to the altar, lifting up my hands, everywhere, every part of my life a mess, family a mess, past a mess, mind a mess, my emotions were a mess, my spirit was so busted and so broken, and yet God still filled me with the Holy Ghost. And God started changing the water into wine. Hey, listen, 
be nice to people in the church. Because you don't know the hood they came from. Those ushers are tatted up for a reason, praise God. You just don't know where their water was. Whew. I love what Brother Dia said, but God, but God. There's people in this house, you got that kind of testimony, but God, but God, but God. There's people in this house, you're saying, but preacher, you don't know how bad it is where I am right now, but God. If you can just let God fill you, amen, I want to tell you, the precedent's already been set. If you let God fill you, God will transform you, and you walk up to this altar, and you might be a mess. Your life might be a mess. Your mind might be a mess. Your heart might be broken in a million pieces, but when you come down to this altar and you lift up your hands, there is a change that starts taking forth, and the Bible says we all shall be changed. In fact, I want to open up this altar. When you come down to this front, I want to invite everybody. I want to invite everybody. Come to the front and lift up your hands. Would you come down to the front and lift up your hands? The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, you just don't know. You just don't know what's going on. You don't know how bad it's been. I want to tell you, I want to encourage you to come down to this front and lift up your hands and taste and see. This wine's sweet, honey. This is the best, this is the best thing that's ever happened to a mortal. Come on. Come on. Come on, they're coming. Lift up your hands all across this house and begin to call on Jesus right where you are in the mess that you're in. I want to tell you the precedent's already been set. He will transform you. He'll transform your mind. He'll transform your heart. He'll, he'll bind, the Bible says he'll bind up the brokenhearted. He'll take all the pieces and he'll glue them back together. But it's not like you and I trying. He makes it perfect. He makes it sweet. Come on, that's it all across this building. Come on, right from your brokenness, your childhood, your mess, you can say, God, you can have it all. And when you give it to God, he makes it the sweetest. Your life will be sweeter than it's ever been. Your future sweeter than it's ever seemed.
pray all across this house. Lift up your hands. Come on. Is that your prayer? When you're changed, it's a permanent change. Let's lift up our hands all across this building. Come on, you feel that God moving right now? Woo, the same God that moved on the face of the waters when it was still dark is the God that's moving across this building. The one that spoke and light became the one that created everything by the mention of the word. Uh, amen. I want to tell you, is in this building right now, moving up and down these aisles, moving up and down this altar. And whatever you have need of, God can do it. Would you listen to me for just a moment? The Bible declares they took and they bear out to the governor of the feast this filthy, this diluted, filthy water. And something transpired in that moment by the power of God. And he said, Wow, this is the sweetest. This is the best. There's people that right now, they're living in the old days, good old days, whatever those are to you. 
my best days or some folks, you just had your 40th high school reunion, you still think high school is your sweet days. Let me help you. Life is so much sweeter than that. There's some people looking back on what they lost and saying, well, if I could go back in time, this would be the good old days. But I want to tell you, when you let God transform you and you taste of that transformation, whew, it becomes the sweetest. It becomes the best. You know, can I preach to somebody for a moment? This can be the best years of your life. I just have to believe that that governor who went from wedding to wedding, feast to feast, he ain't never had wine like Jesus made for him. And I have no doubt every feast from that point forward, Sister Johnson, he was saying, it just don't compare. It just doesn't compare. Because once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you can't go back to some of this other stuff. See, see repentance is not just get right or you're going to be lost. Repentance is this, taste and see that the Lord is good. And once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, all that other stuff, hey, you know, I have no craving for hamburger helper. Just, I grew up on helper. We couldn't afford the hamburger. We just had the helper, you know what I'm saying? Cup of struggle. You know, Brother Jonathan, I've never, I, those were the old days, praise God for the old days. I've never, you know, since I've been married, I've never looked at my wife and said, I got a real hankering for some hamburger helper. Put that home-cooked stuff away. I ain't never tried your food since Michelle have been like, man, this would be better with a side of hamburger helper. <laughs> you know, I, I, church is fun. You got to laugh a little bit. But you know, when you try something good, what you used to think was good is no longer good. You know... When you tasted of Jesus and you tasted of the Holy Ghost and you tasted of so great a salvation, you know, the things that used to appeal to you in, in this life just, well, well, isn't it difficult to live that life? Is it difficult to eat a flame and yawn? No, because once you've tasted it, woo, praise God, give me as much of that as I can handle. Is it difficult living for God? No, it's not. You just haven't tasted the right thing yet. See, some folks have tasted religion and thought it was Jesus, and it didn't satisfy. Well, praise God. But when you really get a hold of this good stuff, you, you don't even have it. I have no desire to go back to that old stuff. When you get a hold of salvation, there's that other stuff. You know, I don't have any intention of watching that. That doesn't even appeal to me no more. I don't even want to go there. I don't even want to hang out with them anymore. I got, ooh, I got church tonight. I got prayer meeting tonight. That governor, no doubt, tasted that wine and said, this is the best I have ever had. And you keep Jesus in your life, the best just keeps getting better. Anybody got a testimony? You just lift up your hands and say, it just keeps getting better.